So I want to talk about some of the most common experiences that we have as people. I don't mean experiences like being stuck in traffic or watching something on TV. I'm talking about experiences that are so common that we often don't even realize that we're having them. Experiences like what it feels like to hold something in your hand, or to feel your feet touch the ground. Things like walking or running or jumping, breathing, stretching, sitting, yawning. In short, what it feels like to have a human body. This is the experience that we all know, having eyes, having hands and feet, having a core where your protected vital organs are, feeding your body, taking care of it, and the human body is what we see when we look at each other. It's how we interact. As central as the human form is to our lives, in the world Swedenborg described, it may be even more intimately connected to everything. There's all kinds of twists and turns, but probably nothing more interesting than the one we're going to look at tonight. The idea that you and I are wearing the design of heaven. Alright everybody, welcome back to another episode of Swedenborg and Life. Really great to have you guys here on Monday night. Thanks for hanging out. My name is Curtis Childs and I'm with the Swedenborg Foundation, which as you probably know by now, is a non-profit group that works to get Swedenborg's ideas into conversations with the hopes those conversations will do some good. And we're hoping that you are going to be part of this conversation. Remember... Every single episode at the end of the show, we have like a live Q&A or commentary, I would call it, since I don't often have answers to the questions, but I do try. Uh, So we want to hear your voices wherever you are, if you're on Facebook, YouTube, or any other social media you found us on. Write down in the comments what you want to ask about, but also what you think about what we've been saying and anything that you feel like fits in with all of that. So you can get it in there and we can make you part of it. That's going to be fun. So today our subject is the shape of heaven and I'm excited to get into it. But before we do, there's a couple of disclaimers we need to get through first. So this is for our safety, because uh, we can't just go into this topic without kind of reading these warnings. Uh, and I, these were some things that kept sprung into my mind as we were putting this show together. Like, this has to be in there first, or nothing that follows will seem wonderful. Right? That's Charles Dickens. Okay, so the first one, don't get a big head. We're going to be talking about the human form as something integral to the like fabric of the afterlife and the cosmos, but it doesn't mean that we're like super awesome because of it. And you'll see from these next few warnings why. And also, it's a it's a humility is good for you, uh, arrogance is bad for you. So don't let that seep in, or you'll block out the truth. So, and that's as much a warning to me as it is to you. So the re- one of the reasons why we don't need to exalt ourselves is that we're given the form. Uh, Swedenborg talks about we are human because God is human. The, the, sh- the form, the shape that we have is an echo or a reflection of a greater reality. And obviously, we didn't really do anything to earn it. We just kind of showed up, and this is the way we showed up. So that's one. But then also, it's expansive. Uh, The human form is the term we're going to be using, but as Swedenborg describes it, it's something that occurs uh, in a much broader spectrum than human beings. If you look at animals, uh, especially mammals that are more closely related to us, we actually share a lot of similarities in our makeup. You get the same kind of 
organ systems just rearranged in a different way. Even something as far away as a spider still has limbs and organs and these kinds of things. So Swedenborg says that that is showing how the human form, what he calls the human form, is reflected in these many different kinds of creatures. Even plants, he says, in their efforts to grow in the way that they function, are reflections as well of aspects of this human form. So we're using the term human form, but it means more than just what people look like. And finally, it's schematic, not spatial. So we're talking, we're going to, this is a spoiler alert, we're going to talk about heaven shaped as or formed like a human being. But that doesn't mean like there's a giant planet or a continent that's in like the shape of a person. Like, oh, where are you? You're in the hand. Turn left, and you drive up the wrist, and you're going to hang a left at the elbow, and the, that, that that's not, it's in terms of functions, that all the functions that are going on in the human body go on in heaven. And we're going to make all that as clear as possible. And then finally, it ain't just Swedenborg that says this kind of stuff. You find the human form popping up in all kinds of different places. Uh, In the Bible, Old and New Testament, uh, in Romans, for as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, through many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. And then in Genesis, very famous part here, God created humanity in God's own image, in the divine image God created them. Male and female, God created them. Then we're going to look at the Zohar, and if you're not familiar with that, it's like a foundational text of Kabbalah, and there's a lot in Kabbalah that's like this concept we're talking about today. It says there, the form of man is in the image of everything that is above in heaven and below upon earth. Therefore did the holy ancient God select it for his own form. So those are some ancient texts, and we're going to do what you should not do if you're writing a research paper. We're going to cite Wikipedia for two of these things. First, from the Adam Kadmon article, Adam Kadmom is a phrase in the religious writings of Kabbalah meaning original man. The spiritual realm of Adam Kadmon represents the serifa or sapphira, <laughs> the divine attribute of Keter or Keter or something, crown, the specific divine will and plan for subsequent creation. And you see there the idea of the human form being not just a shape, but a plan. So there's some nuance and mystery to it there. And then finally, this is from the cosmic man entry. In Jungian theory, the cosmic man is an archetypal figure that appears in creation myths of a wide variety of mythology. Generally, he is described as helpful or positive and is also frequently the physical basis of the world, such that that after death, parts of his body become the physical parts of the universe. He also represents the oneness of human existence, or the universe. And then this is from the Upanishads. This is actually from a Kabbalah website, where they're showing the similarities between Adam Kadmon and the Upanishads. But it's all similarities to everything, because it's also similarities to what Swedenborg says. So I wanted to point it out. The Upanishads describe a primal man composed of the very elements which were to become the world. According to the Upanishads, this gigantic divine being is both infinitely far and deposited near the innermost recesses of the human heart. Indeed, in the Hindu tradition, the primordial man is identified both with the entire universe and the soul or essence of all things. Interestingly, a similar image is found in Plutarch, who relates that the entirety of the heavens is arranged in the form of a macroanthropus, a colossal human being who is conceived as a model for the human world. So as we get deeper into Swedenborg's concept, you're going to see similarities in different ways to all these. So that's our initial segment, you know, Don't get too puffed up about it. The image is something we're given. It shows up in a broader spectrum than you might think, and it shows up across the world's spiritual traditions. So if we take all those and put them in our backpack, we're ready to move on and talk about how heaven thinks. (laughs) 
So as we've mentioned ad nauseum on this show, the way Swedenborg describes heaven and hell, they are not just places in an afterlife, but states of mind. And primarily states of mind. The, the places in the afterlife he describes as heaven and hell come about because of the states of mind of the people there. So keeping that in mind, the if we're looking at the shape of heaven or the form of heaven, it's got to be related to the mindset of heaven. So if we can get the mindset straight, then we'll understand where the form comes from. So let's take a look first at Secrets of Heaven, number 8470. And, a, and this is just describing some of the mindset of heaven. In a heavenly community, each member shares the good she or he has with all the other members, and everyone there shares with each individually. From this arises the good of all in general, or in other words, an overall goodness. This goodness interacts with the overall goodness of other communities, which gives rise to a still more general goodness, and finally, to the most general goodness of all. That is how people share with one another in heaven, which is why they are unified, exactly like the organs, limbs, and viscera of the human body. Even though these are varied and dissimilar, they still exhibit a unity by sharing in this way. Only love, which is a spiritual bond, makes this sharing of good qualities possible. The universal agent that forms and organizes everything in general and particular is divine goodness born of divine love from the Lord. So you see, this is one part of it, uh, this sharing of everything. That In the heaven, the mindset is, I share with everyone, everyone shares with me. I want to be connected with everyone. And this is a big part of the mindset, but there's this other piece, and we're going to show it to you now. This is also from Secrets of Heaven, way farther. And you notice that other quote was from 8,000-something. This is only from 454. There's a huge span in that work there, but he touches on certain subjects throughout it. So this has to do with what you do or what you want to do. The opinion of some is that a life of leisure and being waited on by others constitutes heaven. To these I said that happiness never consists in seeking satisfaction directly from doing nothing. If it did, we would inevitably want to take others' happiness for our own. And if everyone did, no one would be happy. Such a life would not be active but idle, resulting in sluggishness. When, as anyone can see, life holds no joy unless it is active. Angelic life consists in usefulness and acts of neighborly kindness. So he's saying that the, the, what it consists of is doing good things for other people. But then he goes on to list a few kinds of things that people do in heaven. So going back to Secrets of Heaven 454, uh, he describes some of the things that angels do. Uh, He says, Nothing makes angels happier than giving information to spirits newly arrived from the world and teaching them. That would be us. Serving people on earth, making sure that the evil spirits present with them do not go too far, and inspiring them with good and reviving the dead as they enter eternal life, eventually taking them to heaven if the condition of their souls allows it. Angels find more happiness in these activities than can ever be described. In performing them, they become images of the Lord. In performing them, they love their neighbor more than themselves, and this makes heaven. So lots of interesting stuff there where he's describing sort of angelic duties that we could talk about for a long time, but we're not going to. we got other stuff we got to get to. The main thing I want to pull out of that is The mindset of heaven consists of this will to be sharing with and connecting with everyone and to receive connection from everyone in return, and this focus on helping. What can I do that helps other people? I want to do sort of my job or my function here. So that's how people in heaven think. And I would argue here today that if organs or parts of your body could think, they would be thinking the exact same thing. And to prove it, 
I'm going to show, we're going to give an example. Let's start with the liver. Imagine that you are a liver and you're thinking, you're like, oh, I'm a liver. This is a nice place to be. I like my job. I like my life. What do you, do you have similarities to that heavenly mindset? The initial part that we looked at, the sharing with all and the all sharing with you. Absolutely. Through arteries and veins, the liver is gaining uh, oxygen-rich blood. It's gaining nutrient-rich blood. So, and that's coming from all these other systems in the body. So the body is giving to it and then it's sharing because it's doing its function. As we mentioned, you know, we know a lot about what the liver does. It regulates chemical levels and makes bile, which is this thing that helps to break down fats, helps with digestion and absorption. It also processes blood and breaks things down, balances, creates nutrients for the rest of the body. And this function goes out to serve all the rest of the cells in the body. Everybody benefits from having the liver. And if you look at the liver, what it is, it's completely dependent on the whole. This is just like the heavenly mindset, connected to everything, receiving from everything. The liver couldn't survive on its own and it wouldn't want to because it likes where it is and it gives back. It's, its shape, its structure, everything is designed around performing this function. That's its life. So that's if you were the liver, but you don't have to go that big. You can take it down to say you were an individual cell in the body. If you're a cell somewhere, you're doing the same kind of thing. You have this same kind of mindset. The receiving and sharing from all your taking in oxygen from the bloodstream. You're receiving chemical signals from other cells. You're sending out signals. You're getting other nutrients from the bloodstream. You're, and you're doing your job. You know, if you're a skin cell, you're forming a protective barrier. If you're a red blood cell, you're moving oxygen and carbon dioxide. If you're a T cell, you're attacking invaders. If you're a neuron, you're transmitting information. So you can see, not only do all these cells share with the whole body, but they're they're completely shaped by what they contribute back. I mean, this is obvious. A neuron doesn't look a lot like a red blood cell because they're so focused on, this is how I help. And then they, in turn, are cared for and made by the whole body. So you can see that heaven is an assemblage of people that think like the parts of the body would think. If you think about the physical parts of the body, what they do, what their motivation is, that's how heaven is, except instead of cells, you got human beings, right? So that's the beginning of the idea. And it's cool enough to look at the human body and how it works by itself. But if you start to add this meta layer of meaning on, that not only is this the organism that keeps us alive and that lets us interact and do everything that we've ever done in life, it's also an image, a blueprint, a form of this grand community of people, of people working together in this total happiness that we would all want. Then it gets this extra layer of, wow, this is cool to look at. So let's look at some things. We have here, these are real photos of cells from the body taken with like a electron microscopes and some high-powered light microscopes. So while we're going to flash a few of these images on for about 45 seconds with some tunes and just let your imagination go a little bit. And how is this a picture of humans living together in heaven?
course, I wouldn't know in particular what any of those things mean, but look at those images. Doesn't it just sort of scream something cool? It means something cool. I don't know what it is, but it means something cool. So I, I just feel like once you have, so, that's sort of as far as I can get with correspondences like that one that I don't know the specifics, but I know it's something and it just can be fun to start to get some imagination of what does that symbolize. So that's the basic concept, but uh, to fill anything out, you need specifics. So what we're going to do here is go into examples of how do people make up a form like this? What does that mean? How would, how would we fit in? How do other people fit in? So we're going to take a look at that right now. So if somebody just came in and started watching over your shoulder and that was the first title they saw, they might be like, oh, you're learning how to tell a hand from a foot. Uh, don't worry, it's going to be a lot more convoluted than that. Um, we're going to get into some, we're going to be reading Swedenborg here. And this is like graduate level type Swedenborg. Uh, you know, we've been doing this show for a while, so some of you are getting pretty familiar with it. What I mean by that is we haven't edited out the confusing stuff. Like you're going to get him referencing like these weird positions in space. This is kind of the this is the stuff that lurks in there. And I wanted to keep it in because it's interesting and it, it's almost vital to the, the concept. So if you're feeling a little lost at certain points, ask questions. That's what we do at the end. Uh, and, and also, we'll try to explain it as we go. So let's first take a look at what the eye could symbolize. So we're talking about this form of human beings together making this big, huge human. So let's look at specific parts. How could people be like an eye? So yeah, Secrets of Heaven 4528, the eye, or rather its power of vision, has a particularly strong correspondence with the communities in the other world devoted to the beauties of paradise. These communities appear high up, out in front, a little to the right, where a lifelike display of gardens is presented to view. So he's describing, as he has these spiritual experiences, sort of where they appear in space. And that's important, and we're going to get to it more later. The gardens con contain trees and flowers of so many genera and species that by comparison, the number of different kinds on the whole planet is small. Every object in those gardens incorporates some element of understanding and wisdom, which shines out from it. You might even say that along with the flowers, specimens of understanding and wisdom fill these parks. Those are the things that move the community members from deep inside, gladdening not only their eyes, but also their mind. This heaven is divided into several heavens to which every feature in the chambers of the eye corresponds. So we kind of took a roundabout way that describes gardens and plant species to say that people who are interested in learning and gathering intelligence and wisdom play the function of the eye. The way Swedenborg says it, uh, spiritual light is truth. So people who are looking to learn the truth and then teach it to others are like the eye, which gathers light, sticks it into the body. And if we look at the eye itself, though, if you notice at the end, this is even a relatively simple diagram, but the eye is not just one circle. There's all kinds of stuff going on there. There are structures within it. There are structures within those structures. If we zoomed in here, you'd see even more things going on. And the way Swedenborg is describing this correspondence or this uh, lining up of the body with heaven, it's not a general thing. It's with every specific part of the eye. And so let's take a look at a, at a tangible example. And this is Swedenborg describing a guy that he knew in life who had died, and then Swedenborg was seeing his spirit, talking with his spirit in the other life. 
A man I had known in bodily life, though I had not known his disposition or deeper feelings, talked with me several times in the other life, but only briefly and from a distance. He revealed himself in a general way through entrancing representations. He was able to create pleasures for the eye, such as colors of every kind and lovely colored shapes, to insert images of little children wearing beautiful adornments, as angels do, and to add many other attractive, agreeable sights. He worked by exerting a soft, gentle influence on a membrane in the left eye. By these methods, he stole into the affections of other people in order to please them and enhance their lives. Angels told me that people like this are associated with the membranes of the left eye, and they provide a link with paradisal kinds of heavens, where truth and goodness are represented in the form of substance. So, a lot of confusing Swedenborgianisms in there, but what I want to get at is, he's saying, not only are we talking about something that corresponds specifically to a membrane of the eye, but to the left eye in particular. So this is a guy who seems to be a pretty nice guy, he presents beautiful things to view that teach people, and so he's acting some somehow like the front covering of the left eye. So that's one. He gives all kinds of specifics about how people fit in. So the only way I can try to make this clearer and clearer is to keep offering examples. So we're going to do that now. We're going to take a look at something that's completely different than the eye, which is the arm. The arm is a whole different thing. And this he describes in Secrets of Heaven 4932. Spirits and angels in the universal human who correspond to the hands, arms, and shoulders are the ones with power which they receive through religious truth that springs from goodness. But he gives a little nuance here. People devoted to this kind of truth have the Lord's power because they attribute all power to him and none to themselves. The more they disclaim any personal power, not with their mouth but with their heart, the greater power they have. This is why angels are called powers and authorities. So you remember in the beginning, I was warning you, not to get a big head, warning us, because that will strip us of our power. This, he's talking about the form of heaven, like in the body. If any part in the body is trying to be better than another part, it's going to spell disaster. And the mindset of heaven is to want to help people and to want to serve them. So the less of an ego you have, the more power in that system you actually gain. And so that's the power of the arm. And it makes sense that an arm would be a symbol of power. I mean, that's, that's pretty commonplace. But if you look at the arm itself, actually, it's a complex thing. It's not just one thing. It's muscles and bones and arteries and veins, all kinds of stuff working together. So the people that make up the arm would be just as varied, but somehow they all are working with the power to do good. So the more you would look into each of those systems, the more you could find out about it. So we've looked at, so hopefully this is starting to make sense. If it's not, don't forget those questions. Uh, And we've looked at the eye and we looked at the arm, but now let's take a look at what we, I think all agree is the most beautiful part of all, which is the earlobe. So what what would it be to be the earlobe in the body? Is it every part of the body? It really something like that? would have uh, some kind of correspondence or meaning? And the answer is yes, and he actually speaks specifically about the earlobe. But as I said, we're getting into sort of the edgier Swedenborg stuff, and to actually get his explanation about the earlobe, you have to go into a relatively obscure part of Swedenborg's catalog. And it's it's called Spiritual Experiences Minor. There's a Spiritual Experiences, which was his sort of journal, and then there's a part that's minor. So to really explain what this thing we're going to look at is, I've got two experts from the translation team for the New Century Edition to lay it all out for you. When Swedenborg began to have spiritual experiences, he started to write them down right in the middle of a doctrinal book he was writing with highly indented paragraphs. This went 
for a course of say 20 years and it was about 6,000 entries in all. In real time, day to day, he was recording what was happening to him in his spirit in the midst of writing this uh, doctrinal exposition about the word. So even people who are very familiar with Swedenborg's works get somewhat confused about this existence of the spiritual experiences minor or the older title was spiritual diary minor because it has these dated entries. Uh, the minor is just a fault of a numbering problem that Swedenborg had. He had this interesting habit he'd picked up from the time that he uh, published um, works on the sciences, on anatomy and so forth. The style of that time was to have numbered paragraphs from beginning to end so that people could refer to them by these numbered sections rather than using page numbers. Well, he had numbered up to passes 4,544. He'd written a lot in the book already. And he wrote in these long, thin books that were kind of cool. Paper was very expensive then. He took a trip. And so he decided, it would really be nice. This is too bulky to take with me on the trip. So I'll take something smaller and write in something smaller. So he started number 4545 and wrote in this for about 300 numbers while he was on the road. Then when he got back to the larger one, he started writing again. And I think what must have happened is he looked back and he saw, oh, 4544. So he started with 4545 again. So there were two of everything from 4545 to 4832. There's two of everything, two of every number. And so editors coming along later, publishing this material that he had no intention of publishing as far as we can tell. Uh, they needed to do something with the fact that it had this double numbering. What are you going to do? So they called the, the one the diary minor because minor means smaller and it was written in a, in a smaller form. So it's all part of, it's just all in sequence and you, everybody knows where it goes. It goes in the middle there, but uh, it's, it's uh, caused wonderful confusion for people studying Swedenborg. So we had that in there on good faith that you are all as interested in Swedenborg trivia as I am, but I feel it's kind of important to get to know a little bit about if we're here discussing the ideas from Swedenborg, what was the actual phenomenon like when he was recording this stuff? Where did it all come from? So that's a little bit of Swedenborg history and hopefully gives you a sense of this is a relatively obscure thing that we're taking a look at, but he has very interesting info in there. So let's dig into that spiritual experiences minor. This is from number 4813. And he titles it, Those Belonging to the Earlobe. There was a spirit with me who flowed rather forcefully into my thought. Whenever I was treating about matters concerned with providence, such as concern that I might not receive a response from the printer. So this is Swedenborg saying he had spiritual experiences about being worried whether his books would be published or not. And each time I was driven into anxious thoughts about this matter. Then I was told that it was a spirit belonging to the province of the outer ear, and in fact the earlobe, or fleshy appendage hanging below the cartilaginous part. Or rather, if you didn't get that, the thick membranous cartilage is who was doing this. And it was told that he had been of a mind in the life of the body that when he had prayed for something and had not obtained it, he would become very indignant and come into doubt concerning providence. And yet when he was outside of that state of mind, he still practiced piety obediently as the elders had instilled into him. These are those who are imbued with simple obedience. So the way that Swedenborg describes it, trust, learning to trust the divine and sort of rolling with the punches, being content with what life is giving you to a certain extent, is a pretty important spiritual trait to cultivate. This guy hadn't 
quite done it, but wasn't a really bad guy. So he still is going to be part of the body. You think about the earlobe, um, and is it part of the body? Yeah. I mean, if you if you are going to get any kind of infection there, the entire body is going to kick into gear saying, hey, we're going to protect you. We're going to send everybody up there to save you. Blood goes up there. Nutrients go up there. It's, it's completely in the body. As far as what it's giving back, you know, it's a little more peripheral than something like the liver or the heart. Actually, I've looked up what does the earlobe do. People don't even really know what it does. Some people think it's a blood supply for the ear to keep it warm and to keep blood on hand. Another think it's to funnel a little extra sound up. So it's doing something, but it's not, even if you're not as into serving the whole as other people are, there's still a place for you and you can still be doing something. So those are some examples of how people fit in and hopefully that gives you a bigger picture of how heaven functions in the human form. Remember to ask questions or anything like that if you have them. In the meantime, we're just going to steamroll on, take a look at our next section. So after we have that marvelous explanation of what the eye is and what the... uh, arm is, what the earlobe is, you might be thinking, oh, wow, well, I want to be the eye, but what if I show up in heaven? If you're, if you're buying this all, what if I show up there and, you know, a couple people have already taken that spot, so I can't be the eye, so I have to go be the kneecap. You know, how does that work? And the way that Swedenborg describes it, if you showed up as going to be a part of the eye, everybody there would say, that's awesome. Come on in. Things are going to be better because you're here. Let's take a look at a quote we looked at last week. This is from Heaven and Hell 71. Every community in heaven is growing in numbers daily, and the more it grows, the more perfect it becomes. In this way, not only is the community perfected, but heaven in general is perfected as well, since the communities constitute heaven. So what he's saying is that the more people answer to any one function, the more improved that function is. So you see this in the physical body. This is an undeniable part of how the body works. And to explain it, here is somebody who actually knows how the body works. I actually love this particular topic because you can make the argument that, that pretty much every human body system needs like intricate levels of cooperation to make it do what it does. And so we think about how muscles work. There, there actually is lots of cooperation, I would say, at the, the micro, like cellular level, and then at the macro muscle meat level. At that, that cell level, one, one motor neuron, so like one, one single nerve cell, controls on the average roughly around 200 muscle cells, muscle fibers. So then given, given what I have to, to move, am I lifting a feather? Am I lifting a, a rock? Maybe maybe one motor nerve can can make me lift a feather, but if I'm going to lift a rock, he, he then has to recruit. We actually call this cellular recruitment. He has to let a bunch of other nerve cells know, I need more. And then all of those nerves each bring their 200 muscle cells together and lets me get a more forceful, at that, that cell level, one individual muscle cell contracting. If I take that all the way out to the, the, the muscle organ level, think about like a pretty simple move like flexing the arm at the elbow. The, the, the main mover there is a muscle called uh, brachialis. It actually runs from the shoulder to then just below the elbow. It lets me give a flex like that. But 
it has other muscles working with it, most notably uh, biceps, biceps brachii. Um, that's a synergistic, a synergist muscle. Th those two muscles together give me a nice flex. You can even think about that um, synergistic pair versus then we also have antagonistic pairs. I actually love this, thinking about the antagonist cooperating. So my, my brachialis biceps lets me flex. My, my triceps lets me extend back out. So for a, a pretty simple everyday motion, if I want to reach for a coffee cup, say, I'm reaching out with the triceps, bringing that muscle out, but, but its antagonists have to help it to not make my arm slap the cup across the room. So just at, at that macro muscle level, they have to work together for what seemed like pretty simple motions. So I actually love that muscle part. Many, many cell layers contribute to the human skin, which, which really serves multiple critical purposes. One of them also um, um, kind of folds back to the immunity part, helps me keep out foreign invaders. If I don't have all these many layers doing their job, viruses, bacteria, um, will get easy access to the inner surface. And then also, it's a really simple function, keeping water in and out. If I don't have multiple functioning skin levels, I either will lose all of my internal water very quickly and I'll dehydrate, or will let too much water in. If I go swimming and don't have functioning skin, I will drown internally from having water rush in through all these levels. So I think those are, are three fairly good examples of, of what could happen if you don't have all that multi-layered cooperation. So you see there that the more units are working together in the body, the better things go. And this happens on every conceivable level of organization. On the cellular level, he's talking about muscle cells. The more that fire together, the stronger the muscle is. So the more people in heaven that all want to work for this kind of good power, the stronger the muscle gets, the more you can do. He's talking about... Uh, even muscle groups needing to work together to perform motions better and better. And then skin. If you just have one layer of skin, you're in trouble. But So the more people that fill in the skin, the better it gets. So what Swedenborg says in multiple places, like the one we just saw, is the more people are in this system and in each little part of the system, the better it is and the better it is for everyone. Because the heavenly mindset, as he was saying, is the desire to help and share with everyone. So it gets better. It's a positive feedback loop. The more people that are there, the better it gets. And hopefully that brings more people in and it just keeps going up and up. Looking back at heaven and hell, this is from numbers 68 and 71. Several times I've been allowed to see that each community of heaven reflects reflects a single individual and is in the likeness of a human being as well. It is worth noting that the more members there are in a single community, and the more united they are in action, the more perfect is their human form. This is because variety arranged in a heavenly form makes perfection, and variety occurs where there are many individuals. And it touches back a little bit on what we were talking about last week, so go check that episode out if you haven't. But he's saying that even individual communities in heaven have this sort of same organization. Somebody in those, or some group of people is like the heart, some group of people is like the eye in that community, and then that community is a little part of the larger community, which again has this differentiation. So this form is repeated everywhere from the grandest scale, which is heaven to the smallest, which is an individual 
person and actually maybe even below that in the individual thoughts and individual feelings. So you're starting to see how the human body is the image of this working together, the image of this heaven thing. So I want to show you some cells, and these are actual cells interacting. And if with this in mind, it just looks so obviously like the, this is a picture of people really working well together. So check it out and just try to envision it as that. So everything in there could potentially be so they shot they're like sharing these little dots of dye that that green stuff and what is that as passing ideas along they're forming this kind of chain so it's just cool to think about what's it all mean what's it all mean so we've been trying to take you guys through this idea in a pretty logical sequential way that hopefully it's starting to make sense and if it is we want to remedy that because we're going to go off on a little sort of tangent for this next segment All right, so we're calling this one an oddity of spiritual exploration. And I said before that this is kind of the more confusing Swedenborg stuff we're going to be reading. And this one is is definitely that. But I, it needed to be put in here because it kind of shows this way that the whole com- the whole entirety interacts with the individual person. So instead of me just trying to explain it, let me give you the text. This is from Secrets of Heaven 4403. He says, I was able to observe and learn what spirits were like and which area of the body they belonged to by their position and location in me, their horizontal level and their remoteness on that level. So when he was having his spiritual experiences, he would he would interact with people in the next life and people who had died and were in spirit. And he would say these interactions would always have some kind of association with a certain part of himself. And by that interaction, he could actually tell some of the quality of the people he was dealing with. He says, the ones who appeared near me were usually the agents of entire communities. Communities delegate spirits to visit others whose thoughts and feelings they perceive through those spirits. That is how they communicate with others. By the Lord's divine mercy, though, these so-called proxies or emissary spirits will be discussed separately. I have observed the following about them. The ones who appear above the head and close to it are those who teach and readily allow themselves to be taught. The ones low and at the back of the head are those who act quietly and discreetly. And he goes on to say, the ones near the back are similar. The ones at the chest are those who possess neighborly love. The ones in the groin are those with marriage love. The ones by the lower legs are earthly spirits, and the ones by the feet are the coarser ones of this kind. The spirits near the face are of different types, according to their correspondence with the facial sense organs. The ones by the nostrils, for instance, are those who have the skill of perception. The ones by the ears are obedient. The ones by the eyes are those with understanding and wisdom." and so on. So let's say you had watched this show a few times and you decided to try to ask your friend or someone you knew to come watch it. Like, ah, it's not that weird. It's cool. Well, wrong episode to do it. We're giving you like the weirdest Swedenborg stuff. But if you notice what he's saying there, he's having these spiritual experiences and he's saying, when you interact with that world, everybody is associated with a certain part of the body because the body is a picture of the totality of human potential. And so you have this 
on a micro level, this interaction between the where you are kind of mentally and where you would show up, where you would affect on someone by interacting with them. Swedenborg wrote, the human organism is designed to interact with the heavens. So somehow, and I don't fully understand it, I, I would assume Swedenborg did, but it's hard to grasp, we are a little map of everything. So everything has a reference point when it comes in to us. So there's just something extra to put in your holster, uh, and you can go and, you know, surf the, the nether regions of Swedenborg's works to find out more. Uh, but I just want to put that in there. All right. So now that we've like put all this on your plate, we better make sure it was worth our while, right? Let's talk about why it matters. That was not me on the guitar, in case you guys were wondering. Um, so why does it matter? So we're learning about this sort of out there cosmic organization of heaven. What does it mean for you and I that are living here? I mean, initially there's just this you know, idea of a wealth of knowledge about spiritual things. That if this, if we can get the basics of this kind of, of this metaphor that, okay, the body is a symbol of heaven, the mindset of heaven, and the, the organization of an afterlife heaven. The, once we know a little, anybody can learn how, about how the body works. So we can go from there to all kinds of symbolism and everything. And I think it, it's a model, most importantly, of how we can contribute. If we see the body as a template for the best potential human community, then the more we learn about the body, the more we can apply that. You know, and you already kind of, in organizations, have a sense of that. That, okay, some people are acting like an eye. Some people are acting like a hand or like a, some, some kind of power. So the more that we delve into that, the better we can probably get ways to work here. And then also, knowing what the body is and what it's a map of, we might treat it a little bit better. Not, not even necessarily eating healthier, but just the way that we look at the body and the way that we talk about it and focus on it in society, maybe we could get a little more health in that system. Those are my thoughts on it. Hopefully you guys found it interesting. Looking forward to hearing your thoughts. Remember to get your questions and comments in, and we're going to talk about them right after this break. Okay. So now's the time when uh, we get a little bit of blowback. Just kidding. You guys are very good conversers, and I always appreciate what you have to say. Uh, this is where we are going to open it up, and let's do it right now. Our first question comment or comes from Carol Ann on Facebook. Is heaven all a dream that we make up in our mind? Swedenborg talks about heaven, but maybe that's what his mindset is at. So I would say that if you get near-death people who have a near-death experience— they, I remember one describing it as, next to what I found in my near-death experience, um, this world is like a comic book. Like, we kind of call this world real because it's got our, that's, we sort of have a sense of real. Like, I have pretty vivid dreams, but I don't consider them real because they don't feel as real. But if I experienced something that felt more real, that would suddenly be the new gold standard. Uh, Swedenborg describes his experiences in the spirit as that. So to him, it was very real and very literal. Now, he does talk a lot about what you think and believe affecting your experience of the next life. Um, people see things in different ways based on their mindsets. People move to different... He says that m 
thought brings presence. So mindset is a tool of locomotion, meaning if you like certain things, you're drawn toward them. It's kind of like with the body thing we're talking about here, that people who have an affinity for certain uh, ways of thinking are kind of grouped together in different areas. So it would certainly affect how you end up, but there is something that, and you don't, ha- you wouldn't have to call it heaven, you could, but there is something that's an organism that's tightly organized, like we're talking about here, where people really do live in this, and it's in a, in a matrix like this one we have now, where everybody's sharing a reality, they can talk, interact, um, and from all accounts, much more solid and realistic than what we have here. So that's a good question. Thanks very much. Let's get to our next one. This is Margaret on Facebook. What does bodily disease represent in terms of the spiritual world? And I, that's an awesome question, and I, uh, we could do a whole show about that. If you think at it, about it on a physical level, we talked about the parts of the body. Um, and you think about it on a cellular level, all the cells that are in the body are living for the body right? They are doing things that are helpful. They're, they're playing their role. They're living within it. Disease-causing organisms, microbes like bacteria, are things that are living for themselves. They're living, they're, they're profiting off the body. They're taking resources. They're multiplying. They're causing problems. So that the mindset is right there. You know, diseases are, are things in people that make us put our own welfare ahead of everyone else's welfare and act in ways that benefit us, even if it's to the detriment of the rest of the whole. And Swedenborg goes on and says that, yeah, that what he would call the hell mindset or the other side of it directly corresponds to these viruses, um, these uh, bacteria, all these kinds of diseases, both in that people who have this kind of, if the heaven mindset is love and sharing and contributing and the hell mindset is, I want to be the best, and I want my way, and I don't like anyone else. So on a heaven level, you know, people in the afterlife would attack it. But it's also a correspondence of, in us, that these the, the disease microbes can be images of particular ways of thinking or, or certain emotional attitudes that are toxic to a person's own heavenly mindset, meaning to a person being like a good, loving, legitimate person person and things that we all have in ourselves that we got to try to fight back. So there's a correspondence there. Those are the kind of things that if we get them when they're small, they're fine. But if we let them start to run things, the body gets sick. And the spiritual sicknesses are things like, you know, in the extreme, all kinds of sociopathic behaviors, hurting people, uh, committing crimes against people. So that is my answer. And you could go on and on. We could certainly have a show just about disease. So it's a very good question. Really appreciate it. Let's take a look at our next question. This is from J. Joe on YouTube. Serious question, not trying to be crass. Who lives in the reproductive systems? And I think, as I was saying at the end of this, how we look at the body. Um, Just the fact that we have to be like, well, I want to talk about reproductive, but I'm I'm not trying to be gross. You know, it just shows we we all kind of have so at least the society I live in has a relatively juvenile picture of the body. And Swedenborg, as you as you saw in that, so, so that may be something we, we could work on. But as you saw in that one of those quotes there, he talks about people who have what he calls marriage love being part of the reproductive system. He gives those organs a very, very high standing, that these are some of the most deeply loving, um, heavenly people correspond to the, of both, both genders, the organs of both genders, that that is sort of where... He says, God has two basic elements, which are love and wisdom, and the joining of the two is called the heavenly marriage, and this is where everything good comes out of, and the people that are in that the most deeply correspond to those 
organs. So there you have that. We could do a show about that, but I feel like I feel like. All right, so let's let's take a look at our next question. JJ YouTube. So that means only a few in accordance with the smallness of the reproductive system are interested in marriage love. Yet Swedenborg states that nearly everyone is married in heaven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it can't be that only people who are in the eye want to learn because you know part of the main joy of heaven is learning and growing. So it must be that there's and like the point you make that it can't just be only those people are married. So it has to be people who have a certain kind of devotion to that or that's essential or understand it in some kind of deep central way or maybe it's just people who are helping things. You know, if you're contributing to that in everyone, you're in that. So I it's a great question and and it's one you have to think of further but what yeah, what makes you in a particular province. It's not that you exclusively have that. All right, so let's take a look at another one. This is from Michael on YouTube. If we find ourselves in one area of the body as we grow and change, growing in love and wisdom, would our position change in regards to location in the heavenly body? I would think so. I mean, Swedenborg does talk about, we kind of, like like in this world, there's a, like pregnancy, and in the womb, there's a lot of formation going. Once you're born, things are a little more set, you know, so if something happens, he sort of says that that's how the next life is, that we have, we set a lot of who we are when we get in here, but he certainly does talk about people moving positions as you kind of go through this process of coming into the the core essence of who you are, and so I would imagine there's room for that, and if we're going to be around forever, there's got to be some kind of growing and changing, so I, you know, I think you find there's a, he says, the heart of divine providence or of how God runs the universe is that we can be in a particular place that's the place that, that suits us the best. So I would imagine you might not start there right away. You might move to get there. As to when you get there and do you move after that? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Life is, is too long for me to know that, but there is at least some kind of movement. So great question. Let's take a look at one more question and then we'll wrap it up. This is from Edith on YouTube. Every time in prayers I see neutron color waves or purple waves, how would you say we could relate to spectral emissions of light waves? So we talked, um, I think it was last show or two shows ago, no, two shows ago when we were talking about what does God look like, we had Ed Higgins again talking about sight and how sight is a perception of different kinds of light waves. And so colors are just a different part of that spectrum. And Swedenborg is saying that the truth is spiritual light, you know? So if you're talking about specific colors, I don't know the specifics of it. I'm sorry I'm saying the word specific so much, but it's it's the best word for the job. I don't know what the specific correspondence of particular, like what does purple mean? He does go into it a bit. I'd have to look it up, but it could be that if you want to correspond to the, one of those covers, it would mean that colors, I mean, it would correspond to what you, you understand somehow the, that kind of truth in a deep way, or you, you're, if you're like, you know, there's all these cells in the back of the eye, and I imagine that some of them respond to certain colors, you know, and if, maybe you're one of those, if you understand the purple truth, whatever that is. Okay, I said it was going to be the last one, but we got another question, so I'm going to do this one, and this one is the last, last one. What significance do excretory processes have? Yes, we covered reproductive, we might as well cover that, Uh, and this is something I wanted to do an entire show about, but heaven and hell, uh, the process, in brief, I'll spoil the whole show, um, you know, the process of digestion 
Eating and digestion is exactly like the process of going into the spiritual world, Swedenborg says. Some pe- you, you can either get absorbed right away up in the mouth, and, or if you need more processing, you can get chewed up a little bit, you know, go through some hard things, but then that really frees you up. And the whole thing is this process of going through, like, will you be part of the body? Do you want to be part of the body? Um, and so you're trying to get in through, all the way through the intestines, through everything. If you still refuse to go into the body, you got to get shot out. However, even people who are in this hell state of mind that don't want to go into the body can have a use. You think about, uh, you know, poop makes plants grow, all kinds of stuff. So there is still a use there, and we could get to that too. But great question. Um, I still want to do a show on that whole thing. Everybody, it's been a really good um it's been a really good time hanging out with you. This is a subject I really like. It's cool to see you guys processing it. And uh, if you're watching this in post, feel free to ask questions then, and we can get to it. If you guys want to support this program, help it go and learn and change and amplify, you can donate a little bit to the Swedenborg Foundation. It's a nonprofit, so you'll get it tax deductible for next year, I guess. It's too late this year. Um, and, and that'll really help us out. So much appreciated. And in this episode, we were looking at the way a spiritual thing, heaven, parallels or mirrors a physical thing, the body. And we're going to continue that next week, except instead of the body, we're going to look at something else that we're all experiencing right now, which is the internet itself. So I hope you guys join us as we take a look next week at how the spiritual world is like the internet. Mm-hmm.